0: Let's count them down. Wait a minute. You guys aren't the real Avengers. I can tell Hulk gives it away.
1: We've been searching for other meta humans. They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. There's rumors, Amanda, that some of them have abilities.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: In the last decade, comic books have transitioned from being the hobby of nerds and teenage boys to mainstream pop culture. From the barrage of blockbuster films every summer to the various dramas on television, the comic book world has become much larger than ever before. But it wasn't just the heroes in tights that played a role in building an empire of pulp. Heroes in flannel did their part as well.
1: The very beginning of what we know as comic strips, newspaper comic strips, have their origin uh, in sports, particularly in in, in betting. The very, very first strips that were ever created were done specifically to bring in an audience of people who were into sports.
0: This is The Narrative. I'm Harry Swartout. When you think of comic books... Typically, a superhero with fantastic abilities, saving the citizens of his or her respective city, comes to mind. But at the turn of the 20th century, the comic strip served a very different purpose. Since photographs weren't commonly used in newspapers during the early 1900s, comic strips were the only visual media providing readers with more details about the written story. Artists were commissioned by newspapers to draw the subjects of their juiciest articles many of the early comic strip illustrators got their start in the sports section of the newspaper.
1: Well, first of all, there weren't really any cartoons at that time or comic strips at that time. They eventually evolved their careers into being comic strip artists after starting out as sports cartoonists or illustrators at those papers. So all of those guys covered boxing matches and and baseball games and you know obviously horse races too. And they sort of learned their craft by doing those drawings. They all did sports-related um, illustrations and comic strips because you have to keep in mind that you know, essentially there was no photography in, in newspapers, and any story that was illustrated was done by a, you know an artist.
0: That's John Kelly, curator of the Toonzeum, Pittsburgh's Museum of Cartoon Art. The very first sports comic strip centered around the largest American pastime during the 19th century, which was horse racing. It's hard to imagine that comic books, which are often viewed as wholesome entertainment for children, originated for the purposes of advertising gambling.
1: The very first newspaper comic strip was called A Piker's Clerk, and was done by an artist named Claire Briggs, who's one of the renowned early cartoonists. This strip chronicled the success and failures of this character named Mr. Piker, and his daily bets on Chicago horse
0: races, as well as predictions on the next day's races. Along with horse racing, sports comic strips also featured a slew of other sports that were popular at the time. You
3: know, horse racing was much more popular than it is now, boxing, and then baseball. You know, really until 1940s, 1950s, those were the popular sports, you know. I mean, I take it that college football was, was very popular as well as far back as the teens and, and into the 20s and, and college football. Um, and football in general was, you know, a, a subject of, of comic strips.
0: These stories didn't simply follow the athletes and their accolades on the field. They attempted to connect with their audience by humanizing their characters and making them relatable to the average Joe. They told tales of the ex-athlete moving on the next stage of his life, or the coach of a team dealing with players' adversities. Think of it as Friday Night Lights in three panels, in which you get brief vignettes of Coach Taylor's life each week. Here's Dave Felipe, a director at the Wexner Center for the Arts.
3: Another popular uh, newspaper comic strip dealt pretty exclusively with sports was Gil Thorpe and it was created by a person named Jack Barrell in the mid to late 1950s is when it first appeared. And it was about this high school coach. You know, he would coach the football team and basketball and the strips were kind of about him interacting with the students at this school. It is kind of known for Dealing with, you know, social issues that might kind of bleed into the high school realm or into the sports realm. I think the one I'm most familiar with is they kind of touched on steroids at a certain point during the run of the strip. So, you know, that's a, a long-running strip. In
0: 1954, the Comics Code Authority was formed to censor the content that was found to be harmful to the youth. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation
2: that comic books are an important contributing
0: factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. The Public Senate hearings took place on April 21st, 22nd, and June 4th of 1954 in New York. Their goal was making the subject matter of all comics more family-friendly. And wholesome. The Senate questioned the publishers about the graphically violent covers that were used to entice readers at the newsstands, saying the covers were made in bad taste.
3: At the height of the comic industry in the late 40s early 50s there were close to a billion comic books being published every year by many, many, many companies, most of which don't exist anymore. Now it's closer to say 60 million comics are being published in a year. So that's, you know, more than 10 times the amount of comics were being published back then. And a lot of these comics were horror comics or crime comics. The most famous company associated with this time period is EC Comics, and they were known for, again, horror, science fiction, monster, crime comics. And, and like right there on the cover, some of their covers were incredibly lurid. And so if you imagine like a little six or seven year old going to the newsstand at the end of the street to look at Donald Duck comic books and a few books over, you have a woman who's been beheaded and someone's holding her head up by the hair. That's kind of what the newsstand was like back then. And it got to the point that Congress intervened and essentially the Comics Code was a way of enforcing the industry before, let's say, You know, a government agency came in and started enforcing it. And it got to the point that a comic book really didn't have a chance of being distributed or published unless it had this seal of approval on it. It was almost kind of like this this shaming of an industry.
0: After the Comics Code Authority rocked the comic book industry, there were few publishers left after the dust settled. The main two are still around today, dominating the world of comic books, Marvel and DC. Both of these publishers focused on their superhero-themed comics to get around the strict rules of the Comics Code. Rules such as, no comic magazine shall use the word horror or terror in its title, and in every instance, good shall triumph over evil, and the criminal be punished for his misdeeds, created fertile ground for superhero comics to thrive and lead the industry. This also made it nearly impossible to tackle the complex issues found in the multi-layered sports comics. But even though superhero stories were comic companies' bread and butter, the sports-themed issues were the most memorable to the fans. One
3: of the comics I remember most as a kid is this DC Comics issue where there was a DC villain named the Sportsmaster. He got the superheroes to play the supervillains in a baseball game. So you have like. Batman catching, Wonder Woman playing second base, Green Arrow playing third base, the Jokers, the catcher, Lex Luthor's center. You know, it's ridiculous. You know, loving baseball and then loving, you know, comics when I was 9 or 10 years old. That was always one of my um, favorite comics, and I I just get a kick out of opening up and looking at it from time to time.
0: Famous athletes even made special appearances in the world of Heroes and Tights under the most ridiculous circumstances.
3: One of the most memorable issues of the whole 1970s um, was this special comic that came out by DC Comics in 1978 that featured Muhammad Ali in a boxing match against Superman. So here you have inarguably the most iconic superhero of the 20th century in a comic with arguably the most iconic athlete of the 20th century muhammad ali and it's this you know ridiculous story aliens come to to earth and they want to pit superman against muhammad ali in a boxing match and it's you know this kind of ridiculous story but th- the cover is amazing to see these two kind of facing off in the in the ring together and it was funny um, or interesting when when muhammad ali died last year how many people kind of of my generation remembered that comic
0: The code may have limited the genres open to comics, but it meant that from the 60s to the 80s, consumers were still provided with some of the most memorable and iconic superheroes to date. The industry thrived, and enforcement of the comics code became more lax in the 90s. In an attempt to broaden the comic audiences and appeal to comic book fans and sports enthusiasts alike, Marvel Comics and the NFL released the comic titled NFL Super Pro. The story follows ex-NFL athlete Phil Grayfield, who wears a nearly indestructible football uniform after being injured during a heroic accident, which ended his athletic career. Veteran Marvel comic writer, editor, and Deadpool creator Fabian Nasieza explains how he was brought onto the project.
2: I wasn't a part of the originating process of the deal or of the editorial development. I actually was brought in in a little bit of a desperation move to get this thing in some kind of shape to publish and to appease the NFL. It was intended to be not a kid's property like you would think comic for five and six year old, but a kid's property in the way Marvel approached that kind of thing back then is, we just considered it all ages. But NFL absolutely saw comics and Marvel comics at that time, especially because sales were increasing across the board, because the direct market was improving and increasing nationwide in terms of the amount of stores and outlets available for comic sales, the NFL saw it as an outreach to a younger audience. So when the editor, Bob Budiansky, approached me and asked me if I could help out, it really came from a point where I think that they, they kind of had a lot of stuff that they'd been percolating, but it hadn't been honed.
0: The comic was poorly received by fans for a variety of reasons, ranging from rushed concept design to being targeted towards the wrong audience.
2: If the market is a younger audience, then the outreach goal back then would have been a stronger newsstand push. Most certainly there was the expectation at Marvel or the hope at Marvel that the NFL would be selling or giving away more promotional items to kids at the stadiums themselves which they didn't really do there was the desire and the interest to have a much greater engagement on the part of the NFL to get this thing out there but the NFL is a very cautious entity in a lot of ways I think that to their detriment they make deals with partners that bring in money but they don't necessarily seem to give out as much as they take in let's put it that way this was certainly the case in my opinion back then they didn't do enough not to promote the character or to promote the concept. It's one thing to have a guy running around in an NFL Super Pro costume at a football game waving to kids and to give away 10,000 comics to younger audience with a subscription ad or a blowin' flyer back then because nowadays you would just get a digital code and you could download a digital comic or you can subscribe to a digital download. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to directly impact potential sales.
0: There's no proven method to making any successful comic, especially a sports-themed comic. But there are certain factors that can improve your chances.
2: Everyone from the outside looking in, whether that be from just a simple audience perspective or especially from a business perspective, is always looking for a formula. They're they're always looking for (laughs) how to make 2 plus 2 equals 4. And the creative process is alchemy. And it requires a very distinct combination of (laughs) writing and art and content combined with the time it's coming out and the ability to engage and reach an audience. You can have a lot of aspects of that that plug in, but it's rare that all of them plug in together at the same time.
0: So bringing in a current sports superstar in your story is not necessarily going to equal a bestseller in the local comic store. But telling an honest, compelling story about any athlete will put you on the right path.
2: So it shouldn't be starting from the end goal which is if i hook lebron james with marvel comics it's going to equal astounding success that rarely clicks that rarely works (laughs) and then the people in ad agencies or the people in licensing companies are are all for clempton they look for blame you know ultimately it has to start from the originating source and whether it be a league or whether it be an athlete they have to have something they want to say They have to have a reason why they want to do something in this medium and then have the writer and the artist engaged who have a vested interest and a collaboration with the entities whether it be athlete or association into telling that best story and within the process of doing that is when you need to be engaging and activating the platforms that will best enable you to sell something Because just because it's LeBron James and just because it's Marvel Comics doesn't equal ongoing regular places Marvel Comics sells its books like you might expect, Barnes & Noble or a comic book specialty shop. You may need to go in a completely different route, iPad distribution, digital distribution, so that gyms and schools all over the country can engage in this project because it's a story about teamwork and about how the star is willing to understand why teamwork is more important than the individual, that kind of thing.
0: sports still remains a large part of the comic book world. Marvel and ESPN share a parent company in Walt Disney, who make sure that favorite superheroes make it on a sports center on occasion, and sports stars end up in the pages of the hero's stories. The industry has also returned to more character-driven stories of athletes' personal lives, with biography comics of sports greats like Andre the Giant earning great acclaim. Sports heroes and costumed heroes have always been linked in the pulpy pages of weeklies, but as comics branch out once again from their safety net of Cape Crusaders, more and more ink is being spent on the friendly confines, and not just the Fortress of Solitude
3: in reality, the closest thing that we have to superheroes, it's often sports heroes. You know, we use the language of comic books and superheroes to sometimes describe, you know, the accomplishments of, of the athletes on the field. You know, they're doing things that normal humans can't do, whether it's in a three sixty dunk or hitting a five hundred foot home run or, you know, being a three hundred pound offensive lineman, you know, plowing over people, you know, the athletes of our time Are doing things that normal people can't do, just like superheroes. So I think that's kind of another interesting way to think about it.
0: This week's episode was produced by Thomas Conklin, and produced very well. Special thanks this week go out to John Kelly, Dave Filippi, and Fabian Nesieza. If you like the podcast, subscribe and give us a review. More importantly, tell a friend. The best way to spread the word is by telling someone you know will love the podcast. You can tweet about the show using the hashtag SINarrative. I'm at HarrySwordout on Twitter. And as always, for more on comics and all narratives moving the world of sports, log on to SI.com.